I've uh, spent a lot of time in my life studying how to be a, a great parent. I've spent a lot of my life uh, counseling parents on how to be better parents. I've spent a lot of my life uh, judging parents for not being the parents that I think they should be. Um, and then I became a parent. And the world of raising children became just infinitely more complicated than what a book or some counseling session could handle. And so in this moment of confession with you all this morning, uh, we have this kind of ongoing dilemma that is stirring within our family unit. Uh, I tuck, I'll, I'll tuck the boys in at night and I, I pray for them and, and hug them and, and kiss them goodnight. And then I'll tuck my daughter in at night and I'll tell her some wild fictional story that I make up on the spot and pray for her and hug her and kiss her and tell her goodnight. And about five minutes later, my daughter will reappear in our hallway. And she doesn't initially say anything, so it's a little creepy, but uh, she'll just stand there and refuse to go back to bed. And so every single night for the past uh, really several weeks, uh, we've had this meltdown at bedtime. And so the other night, I, I took her back to her bed for probably the thousandth time, and I asked her, I said, Eliza, why are you so scared to be in here at night? Um, you're safe. We're, we're all in here together. And she replied, um, I'm afraid of, of dinosaurs. Now look, I'm not sure if you know this. Um, but we have very few, if not zero, velociraptors running up and down our street at night. Plenty of bears, but really no raptors. And the truth is my daughter is fearful at night because we have let her watch uh, too many Jurassic Park movies. And when I say too many, I, I really mean all of them. And so it's possible she's watched Ian Malcolm or, or Alan Grant run from too many T-Rexes, and it's possible she's watched too many dinosaurs eat too many people. So yeah, that one's on us. Maybe she wasn't ready for those movies. I told you parenting is complicated, but she's terrified, and she refuses to sleep uh, because of really how unfair it is that she has to sleep alone and her brothers get to sleep in the bedroom together. And my guess is most of us really aren't afraid of dinosaurs. Um, but there are fears all around us, fear of the unknown, fear of the evil that surrounds us. And to be frank, even maybe the evil that we often find inside of us. Like we don't need, we don't need movies to remind us that we live in a pretty busted up and, and broken world. How easy it is to be fearful of the world that we're living in and, and the world our children are growing up in. And not just that, like it doesn't even seem fair, right? Like where, where's God in all that? Where is the God of justice in our fear? Sometimes it just feels like he's left us alone. Things seem incredibly unfair when the wicked prosper and the righteous struggle. And here's the promise of Psalm 28. The promise is that the Lord is not absent in our fears. The Lord is not silent in our pleas. The Lord is not passive in his justice. That we serve a God that will eradicate every fear in us and around us. So let me show us for the second week 
Why Christians Fear No One from Psalm 28. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there. But before we um, study the text, work through the text, let's pray together and then we'll read it um, in its entirety. So let's pray. God, we humbly come before you and God, we uh, often neglect, reject discipline in the Christian life. God, that sometimes it's just discipline to get ourselves out of bed to be here. Sometimes it's discipline to open a book and study. It's discipline to quiet our hearts and our minds from all of the, the crazy uh, and often fearful things that we see around us and even in us, God. It's a discipline. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. God, we, we need to gather and we, we need to study and we, uh, we need to pray and we need to see what your word has to say. God, we, we plead for uh, understanding in Psalm 28 uh, another week of why Christians really fear no one. Um, God, teach us about you and teach us who we really are before you. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So I'll read Psalm 28 um, and then we'll walk through it together. 28. Of David to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry for, to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil de their evil deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. He will, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord for he's, he's heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O Savior people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Last week we looked at three points from Psalm 27. Why Christians fear no one. I'll give you points one through three, and then we'll go through points four and six. Points uh, one through three from last week. One, we seek the presence of the Lord. We want to be in his presence. We, we love to be in his presence. That as followers of Christ, we don't love to gaze upon the doom and the gloom of this broken world. It's the reason why, like literally before I walked in here, I just deleted the news apps from my phone. I'm just tired of gazing upon the doom of this world. We love to gaze on the beauty of Christ in his word. We seek the presence of the Lord in his word, but also in our in-person gathering together today. Two, we sing of a victory that is promised that the church by, by default is a singing church. 
Styles might change, instruments might change, singers might change, but the call to lift up the name of Christ and his victory with instruments and with voices do not change. In a world of negativity and bad news, we gather to make a joyful noise of victory in anticipation of the actual victory. So, lastly from this past week, point three, we believe in the goodness of the Lord. And yeah, of course, we believe in the goodness of the Lord for forever, eternity. But we also believe in the goodness of the Lord now. This is Psalm 27, 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living, that Christians should stop being such a pessimistic group, that regardless of your eschatological framework or how you view the end times, we must be a people that believe in the goodness of the Lord now. Like even in your darkest hours and deepest struggles, the Lord has been good and gracious to you, even if you don't care to recognize it. And then we get to Psalm 28. And I'm answering the same question because Psalm 28, it's really Psalm 27 in reverse order. Um, meaning last week we looked at the Lord being our strength at the beginning of the psalm, and this week we'll look at the Lord being our strength at the end of the psalm. So Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my strength, and then Psalm 28 in reverse order, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Why Christians fear no one? Three more points continuing on in Psalm 28. Why Christians fear no one? Here's point four if you're a note taker. We know he will hear our pleas for mercy. We know he will hear our pleas for mercy. As mentioned last week, there's, uh, this obviously is a psalm of David. He's writing in reference to this unnamed enemy. It, it's whether that be King Saul or the surrounding nations, we don't know. But it's this prayer of pleading before the Lord. Verse 1, to you, O Lord, I call. To you, O Lord, my rock, which is not the first time uh, he references the Lord as his rock. You can see this in Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So right away, like you know where David's heart and his mind is. Like he knows the Lord is his rock. He knows the Lord is his refuge, his shield, the horn of his salvation, which we later find out is Jesus, his stronghold. Here's the point, y'all. Um, just because you know true things doesn't mean it's not infinitely more difficult than you ever realized. In the middle of suffering, in the middle of your greatest fears, you might know every Sunday school answer on the block, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It wasn't easy for David. Listen to his plea in verse 1. Do not be deaf to me. Do not be silent to me. Do not be, let me become like those who go down to the pit or Sheol or the grave. David literally knows in the core of his heart and his mind who God really is. And yet he has these pleas of mercy. Like sometimes it feels like the Lord is not listening. Sometimes it feels like the Lord is silent in our troubles. Sometimes it feels like David, with all his knowledge, he's just, he's just not immune to any of these feelings. 
And it's pleas of mercy to the Lord in the face of the enemy, verse 2 of the text. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry for hope, or help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. It is possible that in worship, we lift up our hands not just as an act of gratitude, but also as an act of mercy. That we sing with hands to the sky, with this pleading in our hearts for the Lord's mercy to be shown in our life, that would be a good and, and a right posture. And here's the promise I want to give to you this morning, and it's the promise of the word. We know the Lord really does hear our pleas for mercy. We know that the Lord does not listen to the pleas of mercy from the enemy. Like the Lord only has an ear of repentance toward the enemy, but not mercy. The Lord has an ear of mercy toward his children alone. Those that are in Christ, those that belong to him. If you are in Christ this morning, because I don't assume everyone is. But if you are in Christ, please know that the Lord hears your pleas of mercy. I'll prove it, Psalm 66, starting in verse 16. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I, I cried to him with my, tongue, with my mouth, and, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended the voice, to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. So for those that cherish iniquity or for those that they just love to swim in their own selfish desires and sin, the Lord is not listening to their prayers even if they were to pray to him. But for David... And for believers today, the Lord is listening to the voices of our prayers. Blessed be God, we know he has not rejected our prayers or removed his steadfast love. That even in our suffering, even in our, our fear, even in the face of the enemy, like we lift up uh, holy hands in his holy sanctuary. And we know, we, we really know he will hear our pleas of mercy. But when? When will the Lord respond? When, when will people get what they deserve? Sometimes things just don't feel very fair. Why Christians fear no one? Here's point five. We trust that his wrath is just. We trust that his wrath is just. Every single day of my life, and I'm not exaggerating, I hear the words, that is not fair from my children. And we live in a culture that screams from the rooftops, I am not being treated fairly. We live in a world where injustice is the gospel of every individual. We want justice. And I, I, don't, I don't care what kind of demographic you fall in, into. We all feel this sense of like, hey, that's not fair. And I, 
We're a people, I'd say even from childhood, where we crave justice. But before I explain verses 3 through 5, let me tell you where justice has gone wrong. Justice in our culture has turned into equality without consideration of individual responsibility. Many, meaning, like many people believe this lie that, that you get treated the same as everyone else regardless of how you're personally living your life. And let me give you some really refreshing news from the scriptures. That the God of justice does not care about your heritage or your family you, that you grew up in or how much money you have or even how little money you have. That God's justice is directly aimed at your personal responsibility before his holy presence, which is terrifying or awesome. Meaning God will leave no wrong unpunished. It's the prayer of David in verses 3 through 5. Verse 3, don't drag me off with the wicked. Like, I'm not wicked. Don't put me in that same boat. They speak peace with their neighbors. Peace and love, it's their war cry, but, but you know they have evil in their heart. Verse 4, give to them what they deserve. Give to them according to their evil deeds. Give to them the mess they built with their hands. Give to them what they reaped. Verse 5, they don't care about the works of the Lord. They don't care about the works of his hands. I trust that you will, that you will tear them down and never build them up again. The Lord is the righteous judge, and he will not let any sin go unpunished. So let me warn us all today. He will not let any of your individual sin go unpunished. All of the sins that that people know about, and all of the sins that you, you keep private. The Lord, he already knows. And he will rightly punish the individual actions with his terrifying wrath. So here's our options. You can either believe in Christ and have Christ pay for those sins, or you can be a case study for Psalm 28, 3 through 5. So for those that believe in the name and the work of Christ Jesus, Christ was nailed to a tree for your sin, that he took upon the wrath of God that was pointed our way by the righteous judge, that he paid the debt that you owed. Therefore, those that are in Christ, like David, we, well, then we can rest in God's justice. This is Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That biblical justice means that all deserve the, wrath, the full wrath of God. And God has poured out that wrath on his son Jesus so that anyone believes in the name of Jesus would avoid his wrath and be with God forever in peace. That's biblical justice. And for those that refuse the free gift of grace, welcome to your truth of reckoning. God will, God will tear you down and he'll never build you back up again. We, we fear no one because we trust in God's justice. So for those that reject Christ, 
God will deal with the liars. And God will deal with the murderers. And God will deal with those that spend their lives seeking personal pleasure at the cost of everyone around them. God will deal with those that hurt children. God will deal with the emotional and physical and sexual abusers. God will deal with the drug dealers and drug lords. God will deal with the terrorists. God will deal with the crooked politician. God will deal with every man and woman that thinks they've beaten the system. And God will deal with the wickedness that is both public and the wickedness that's hidden. And God's wrath will be unleashed in the world in a way David's prayer like couldn't even fathom. Revelation 20 verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So you are either in Christ, and he has taken upon God's wrath on your behalf, or your eternal future is the lake of fire. That's not me being mean. That's not me being judgmental. That's not me even trying to scare you into heaven. None of that. It's me warning all of us that we serve a God of justice and his justice will reign supreme. So trust in the Lord. He's listening to his children. He hears our pleas of mercy. He knows that, that we sometimes feel like things aren't right and fair. He understands our frustration when we see the wicked that are prospering. Trust in his justice. Either, either, either the enemies of God will become the friends of God through the work of Christ, or the enemies of God will be torn down and built up no more. Because here's the truth, and this is the important part. Um, your greatest plea of mercy is not mercy from your enemies. It's mercy from God in your own sin. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God of our Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That we need mercy from God far more than we need mercy from the enemy. And if you were to follow that, that train of thought, that logic, it's also why we fear God far more than we do man. Why Christians fear no one? Let me give you point six. We believe in his saving refuge of his anointed. Verse six, it, it reveals the answers and promises that, that we've been looking for, really. It says, blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Not that we hope he might hear our prayers. Not that, that he'll hear us if we get enough people to gather together and pray for something on the prayer chain. No, this is, this is just David. David's lonely prayer of mercy that the Lord hears. So what is the theme? What follows is the theme of Psalm 27 and Psalm 28, that he is our strength and shield. We trust him and he helps us. I mean, that's why our heart exalts him, that lifts up the name of God with, with song. We sing because he hears our prayers and we, we sing because he is the God of justice. We sing because the Lord is our strength. We sing because the Lord is our shield. And the greatest promise of Psalm 28 is found in verses 8 through 9, that he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Like, don't you see a child of God? 
Children of God are anointed. So they're set apart as his own. And God has saved us and is saving us within a place of refuge that only he can provide. Uh, Let me put it like this. Um, I will do everything in my power to destroy anyone that wants to come into my house and hurt my kids. But God who has all power and all authority will destroy anyone that wants to come into his house and hurt his kids. It's a kind of saving refuge that only the Lord can provide. So don't you see it? That we believe in his saving refuge of his anointed, Romans 8, verse 38. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The enemy is great, but our God is greater. And it's David's prayer where he says, Save your people, Lord. Bless your heritage. Let me tell you a little uh, not-so-well-kept secret about prayer. David is pleading uh, for mercy from the Lord. David is pleading for God's justice not for himself alone, but for the blessing of the Lord's heritage. Meaning, we pray for the Lord to act in our life for his namesake, not just our own. When faced with the fear of the enemy, we pray differently. Pray, Lord, move for your namesake. Save for your namesake. Bless your heritage, not my own. Listen to the proof of the, wor- of the word. This is not in your notes. It's not on the screen, so I'm just going to move as quickly as I can just to prove, prove it to you from the word. 1 Samuel 12:22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Psalm 23, 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 25, 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, part of my guilt, for it is great. 31, 3, for you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. 79, 9, help us, O God of our salvation. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins. For your name's sake, 106, 8. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power, 109, 21. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me, 143, 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble, Ezekiel 20, 14. But I acted for the sake of my name. That should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I have brought them. 2044, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord your God. There's more. Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters 
where father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life, 24-9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, Acts 9-16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, Romans 1-5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, 1 John 2-12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Revelation 2, 3. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Meaning, the story of the Bible is not about you. And the story of the Bible is not about America. And the story of, of the Bible is not about your long Christian heritage. The story of the Bible is about God for the sake of God for the glory of God. And he will eradicate the enemy for his name's sake and his heritage. So you pray that in your prayers. Listen to my pleas of mercy for your name's sake. Act in your perfect justice for your name's sake. Save your anointed for your name's sake. He is my strength and shield for his name's sake. Several years ago, uh, we were hiking up to Carver's Gap with the kids, and uh, there's always some through hikers on the AT, and there's always some adults that have like far too much hiking gear for a 30-minute hike, and um, my kids, they're just walking up there with knockoff Walmart Crocs, and uh, they have empty water bottles because they don't listen to us, and so this specific day, pretty gloomy outside, we decided to take the hike, and we walked up the mountain through this, you know, the beautiful wooden area, and finally arrived at the top, and what's uh, usually this amazing view on both sides was just layered with fog, we couldn't see anything, but um, stayed a little bit, decided to walk back down, and that's when the sky really opened up, and rain just began to pour. And I picked up our youngest child, put him on my shoulders, and my first thought was like, this kid's gained some weight. And, uh, but we're on a, mish, a mission, and we, we began to walk as fast as we could down this mountain, and the rain is letting loose. Judah is just thrashing around on my shoulders, and I'm trying my best not to drop him as my jacket's getting more and more slippery. And we ran through this wooded area, and I slammed his sweet little face into a bunch of thorns. And I already, again, I already told you I'm not a perfect parent. And we ran and we ran and uh, until we got back to the minivan, my shoulders were aching from carrying this surprisingly heavy three-year-old, but we made it, soaking wet, but we all made it. And I fully realized there's a lot of fear in this uncertain world that some of those fears are rational. Some of them are just irrational fears. I fully realize that there's a very real enemy that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And I fully realize that there are those that hate God. I mean, even if they speak peace and love and unity, there's still evil stirring in their heart. But the real reason Christians fear no one is that while Jesus is king, he's also shepherd. And as the end of verse 9 reminds us, our shepherd will carry us forever and he will not grow tired, and he will not worry about the future, and he will not let us slip or fall, and he will not allow the enemy to ruin us. Truth be told, he is our good shepherd, and as the text says, he will carry us forever. 
Why Christians Fear No One, uh, our summary point is joined together from last week and this week. So it says, we will wait for the Lord because the shepherd will carry us forever. Children of God, do not fear. When you've lost all emotional and physical energy to handle tomorrow or honestly even just today, when there's nothing left in the tank to carry on, just wait for the Lord because the shepherd will carry us forever. He's our light, he's our salvation, he's our strength, he's our shield. If you have any questions about the text or you want to respond to the word, maybe to even become a child of God, we'd love to talk with you or join the church. Uh, whatever you need to do, I'll pray and then we'll sing together.